Supercoach All-Stars podcast of season 2021. Barnsley back again for another year. Raring to go. It's come around very quickly with the uh, last season finishing obviously quite late in the year. So it's come around the corner pretty quickly. Um, pre-season podcasts are underway. And for the very first pre-season podcast of 2021, I'm joined with my old mate, Billy. Billy, welcome back, mate. Thanks, mate. You've got to start with Uncle Bill. I'd be very disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> Absolutely. Have to start with. Billy for the first podcast. I mean, how have you been going in the off-season? For me, it's felt like it was sort of the season finished and then all of a sudden Supercoach was getting launched. So I felt felt a little bit more unprepared than other years where I kind of had to scramble a little bit. Yeah, no, I've kind of been enjoying the off-season just now that the finals are over, just being on par with everyone else again. So <laughs> that, was a, that was a good start. But um, yeah, mate, had a bit of a time off at the beach, a few beers, but... Yeah, early December, the itch started kicking in. I'm not that good at 2020 or BBL, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, um, I'm raring to go now. The last week, week and a half, I've well and truly creamed, and I'm pretty excited for the season. So for all the listeners, what we're going to do for all the pre-season podcasts, pretty similar to what we've done before. Actually, only going to do two teams per podcast, though. So before we're trying to squeeze three teams in, sometimes we'll even try and squeeze four in. Going to do two per podcast. And we've also got a whole heap of rotating guests for for this preseason. So pretty much all eight preseason podcasts that we're going to bust out are going to have a different guest on there with me. Uh, Billy might come back for the tail end for the final one. Uh, and all the other ones, I've got a few surprise guests and a few that aren't so much surprising because you've heard them before. So it's going to be a really, really good preseason. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing all these podcasts. But let's get the first one underway, Billy. Parramatta Eels, that's who we're going to start with because they're your team. You're on the first podcast, so I'm happy to talk about them with you. Their season last year um, was pretty good. They seemed to fall over at times um, after a decent start. Before we go into the draw and the ins and outs of the team, how are you overall feeling about the Eels for season 2021? Uh, not as confident, <laughs> but excited that we've got, you know. Um, got around the stadium, mate, a bit of momentum there, a couple of games at home to, to start the year, and the fact that you know, we're, we're not eight points behind the eight ball just yet. I'm optimistic of a sort of a top six, but top two, I'm not sure we'll get that close, mate. But new season, new year, anything can do when you've got Madison on your side. <laughs> well, I think that you're in for a decent year. I can't see any way that the Eels don't make the top eight, at least. So you're going to be playing finals footy again, which is pretty good for power. Uh, let's talk about the ins and outs. Now, I don't think that Eels are too affected for season 2021 with uh, cattle changes. The losses pretty much are bench players. So Kane Evans, Dave Gower, uh, George Jennings was in and out of the starting side to replace guys. Jai Field was kind of the same as cover. Takarangi was was valuable off the bench at times, but at the end of the day was starting to get a bit older. Alvaro, bench player, um, Salmon, Terrapo. And probably the only one that was kind of a bit promising was, was Andrew Davey, who I thought looked quite good in a few games and was sort of a sneaking out of the radar cash maker last year for a few people. Uh, for the new faces, though, I think they've replaced some outside back depth and the um, forwards off the bench pretty well. As far as bench forwards go, Keegan Hipgrave, Keegan Hipgrave, I should say, Bryce Cartwright uh, and Nathaniel Roach comes over. 
Isaiah Papali'i from the Warriors, I think it's a fantastic bench signing for you guys, and Joey Lusick from Southford. Obviously Jennings, that is Michael Jennings, is uh, under a bit of a cloud because he's he's got a preliminary suspension for drugs. You would assume, because 99.9% of those hold up, that they will hold up, in which case they have brought over Michael Oldfield from the Raiders uh, and Tom O from the Cowboys, both of whom are centres who can play that Jennings position and will probably fight it out. So, not really a huge amount of change, though, for the starting 13, aside from Michael Jennings probably being out. When we're having a look at the Eels draw, Billy, I have to say that there was a few Eels that I was keen on, and when I looked at the draw, I went, wow, I'm, I'm like super keen now, and I'm more keen than I, what I would like to be on a couple of them. The first eight weeks is what I normally look at the most, and certainly the first month is important as well. Um, so just looking at that, breaking it down, out of the first five games, three of them are actually played at Bank West, which is fantastic. Um, there is another away game there against the Tigers, but that's also at Bank West, even though it's a Tigers home game, which means four out of their first five games are going to be played at Bank West Stadium. Out of their first eight games, the first two months of the season, only two of those are against def- definite top eight teams in the Storm and the Raiders. So they kick off with the Broncos, then they've got the Storm, the Sharks, Tigers, Dragons, Raiders, Broncos again, and then the Dogs. As far as two-month runs go, you know, four out of five to start with at Bank West, uh, and only two real hard games in there. Yeah, I, I love that draw for the Eels, Billy. Yeah, I like it too, but you've got to remember as Eels, mate, I'm not as optimistic as you purely because we don't really have any sort of Tedesco-type players in there that are really going to sort of lift you up the ladder. Um, we'll talk about them as we go through, mate, but as an Eels fan, mate, I'm not really as optimistic as you at the moment. I understand the pessimism, mate, because you are an Eels fan. You've been through some rough patches for about two decades, or probably three decades, so I get it, but I don't know if you could get a better draw than that, <laughs> really. It's yeah, pretty solid. Yeah, the draw's pretty good, but I'm more excited as a team that we're going to draw like that for uh, maybe get a couple of wins on the board, um, particularly with the game sort of at Bank West, knowing you got to get a sort of crowd behind you. Yep. But flicking, fl- flicking, flicking the switch and what we really want to talk about, you know, from a super coach perspective, that's kind of where I struggle, mate. I just can't really find any value apart from, you know, Moses is probably the only value in there, but I'll tell you what, he's not really a risk that I'd want to take. But you go year on year, you go back to 2019, you go, look, the guy's got some big scores in there, but then you look at 2020 and you go, that five-game rolling average never being over 60 all year, that's not something, you know, you want to... That's throw, throw your weight behind. So excited as an eels owner, just not so much for SC, mate. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the draws a funny mistress that um, can be quite cruel and just not do anything for you when you think it's going to, as far as super coach goes. One other last point on the eels draw that I'll make is that they do play the big buy round. So the first big buy round is round 13 for this season, and the eels are going to be playing that one, which is quite handy. But Let's get underway, Billy. Let's chat about the players. And the first ones we're going to go through is our guns list that we're going to talk about. So Madison is the first guy that we're going to talk about. I was huge on him last year. Uh, I'm going to rattle off some numbers for you, Billy, and what I think. And then I'm really interested in your take because I think we both liked him last year. But you're a little bit more standoffish on him than what I was. Uh, I thought that he was going to be in for a bumpy year and had him in early. He comes in this season, though, price high at 666k. The devil's number, 666, off 75 points per game last season. Now, 
that sounds like a high price tag for round one. Uh, I think that he's actually potentially the number one forward in the competition for Supercoach, and I'm going to tell you why. Excluding his injury game, he did not have one game below 60. That is fantastic consistency, but when you deep dive in the numbers, it gets even better. Nine out of 16 of his games that he played were 70-plus, so better than 50% of his games were at 70s, uh, and then nine out of 16 were actually 80-plus, which is crazy. Six out of 16 were 90-plus. Now, six out of 16, 90-plus, that is phenomenal. He only had one ton there at 115, but also a 99, but to get six out of 16 games 90-plus, it's fantastic, and it just says what a great captaincy option he is week on week as a solid one. Um, all it came down to, Billy, was his increase in attack. So that was really the key for me. It wasn't his tries, so that kind of gives us a bit of upside because he only scored three tries for the year. He's easily going to hit three tries again. If not, he'll get more. But it was really the offloads. So he had 35 offloads last season, which was a huge increase for him. I ended up making it third in the NRL for his ranking on the offload leaderboard. That's fantastic when you consider he had three games and an injury-affected game, so probably four games less than some of those other guys to offload in, and he still managed to finish third in, in total offloads. I'm completely sold on Madison. He was one of my first forwards picked, uh, but I understand a lot more people seem to be standoffish about it because probably his 6-6-6 price tag. What's your take on it, Billy? Are you as sold on, on Maddo as what I am, or are you a little bit hesitant because of that price? Yeah, right with you there, mate. Um, it wasn't until about two hours ago when I dug into the numbers a little bit, a little bit more that um, I was sold. But uh reason I was sceptical was last year we were both on him. He never scored below 50 last year. That's why he was such good value in there. Um, you, knew, you knew he was going to get more attacking stats at the Eels. But he did that. Um, the reason why I'm keen this year or regardless of the draw, and I say that with um, with a lot of confidence, regardless of the draw, like you said, he had, I think, five of his first game, five of his first eight games or something were, were above 90, and he actually averaged around that sort of 90 mark uh, earlier in the se- season post-COVID. So he kick-start pretty well. That was the same sort of draw and the same sort of home home run as well. The fact that he's just got that high uh, high floor, he's basically missed, uh, Mr. Consistent. So he, he had uh, the other the other stat was he had a... If you look at the whole the year as a whole, he had a five a five round rolling average above seventy the whole year. So he never he was never volatile at all. He basically scored above sixty five every single every single game. So the fact that they've got that um uh, that good draw um and the fact that he's probably not going to drop in price at all, you may as well number one to save yourself a trade. Number two probably gives you a um, little bit of a buffer up your sleeve in regards to a captaincy option. I mean, Payne Haas or Tom Lola might have one game where they play 50 minutes or 45, 45 minutes and score 55. At the very least, with a bloke like this, you know he's going to score 65. So it probably takes a lot more of that risk out of the equation, and that's the reason why I'm kind of sold. Yep. Uh, I'm with you 100% on Madison. Um, I think that he's also going to be a little bit lower ownership than what he deserves to be. I'm seeing a lot of teams that don't have him. Obviously, guys like Tom Malolo are very popular. Uh, Peyton Haas, before he was possibly going to be suspended, was very popular. I think that the name value of a Tom Malolo or a Haas gets him across the line, whereas Madison doesn't have that... I don't know. He doesn't have that sparkly name value that these other guys do. Um, so he's just not getting picked in as many teams. That's a real bonus. And i probably say for his upside... I still think there's upside there. Like, not that I think that he's going to average 90 points a game, but, you know, with a lot of these type of guys, you sort of think, 
oh, yeah, but there could be regression or, you know, maybe that's his peak and you're paying for his peak. I don't know if we are. Like, I don't think that he's got much in him to be able to go lower than what he has. Like, he doesn't have to do much to, to do what he did last year and get 75 points a game. But he only scored three tries and he missed four games due to injury as well. On top of that, the Eels draw starts off really well. It's his second year in the team too. So you'd expect him to be a little bit more comfortable. There are so many things to like about Madison, and I really don't see any downside. The only thing is that he's expensive at 666k, but I put him in, not quite in that Teddy boat, and, but, you know, I've said to a few guys, you know, it, Teddy's kind of the exception to the rule where, you know, general rule of supercase, you don't really want to pay peak price for guys. You want to get value per point. But when you're talking about buying points and buying premium points, you, you do that with the top guys. To me, Madison's one of the top guys, so I think I think it makes sense. And you made a really good point on not having to trade out for him later on as well. Yeah, it's his captaincy option too, which um, is a saving grace as well, mate. You could you could get a bloke like Tom Lalo and say, hey, look, you know, he's going to score you know ninety or one hundred and ten um, down the track and be a captaincy option as well. But if you captain that one game where he scores fifty fifty five, then you lose. At least this bloke here is going to be sold all over the park. Yep, 100% sold. Hopefully we don't get too many people throwing him in because I kind of want to keep his ownership a bit lower. <laughs> yeah, one other point really quickly I completely forgot. Um, last year there was a point where where um, Moses was just terribly out of form or just using him way too much as a decoy at close to the line. He wasn't getting the run at all. But yeah, he still pumped out 65. I remember sitting on the couch screaming and going, give it to him, give it to him. Just wouldn't give it to him and still upgraded from, from 45, 50 to 65, 70. So if Moses is off, he's still going to score that. If Moses is on, he gets a short ball. So win-win. Win-win. Let's move on to another gun, Clint Gutherson. So a little bit of a controversial gun in that he's a fullback and you know the same as last year. Really hard to throw him in when you've got other fullbacks that are probably more fancied and rightfully so. However, he did average 70 points per game last year. He comes in at 617k, which is obviously you know, a quarter of a million dollars less than what a Tedesco is, uh, and he deserves a mention. Um, a couple of things that I liked about his performances last year: he had three, uh, sorry, he had four tons, uh, and you know, two of them were huge tons. One of them was 166, another one was 124. So it wasn't even like they were scraping over the line. Uh, his other two being 102 and 114. So four tons. Yeah, it's it's a pretty decent crack. It's like 20% of his season he was scoring a ton. So he, he did a really good job as far as putting out those big scores. From the restart, um, I actually think that a lot of teams were very different after the first two rounds because we obviously had that COVID break and we had a, a, a restart um, quite a bit after. Uh, and you, I mean, you could see it with the Broncos. You know that Wilford will tell us when I get him on the podcast to talk Broncos. The Broncos' first two rounds were great, and then all of a sudden at the restart, they were dog shit. There were some players that were like that too. You know, Gutho went 30 and 36 his first two games. But after the restart, and he had that little break, he went from uh, the restart through to round 12, averaging 85 points per game. And he looked like that he was going to keep carving. Uh, and he was carving bad teams, which is kind of what you want to see when you bank on a, a Clint Gutherson. Now, he does obviously have a good starting draw. And we've seen him carve up the bad teams and average sort of 85 points. And he also led the Eels in tries this last year. So whilst Moses went downhill, that seemed to help Clint Gutherson get the extra attack. So he ended up with 17 tries for the 2020 season, uh, just a shade under one try assist a game. 
and leading the Eels in that category. So Hattie's hand on the ball a lot. Uh, obviously, Hattie's normal line breaks a heap of tries, but his tries this really impressed me as well. So, Billy, I know it's it's kind of hard because we're talking about him to give him some credit because he put up the numbers, but the reality is it's very ballsy to put him in even though he's a gun because you've got so many other more fancy fullbacks. Where do you see Clint Gutherson in the scheme of things for 2021? Wishing he was available at centre three quarter <laughs> is probably the answer there. Oh, the good old uh, days. Oh, mate, you've hit the nail on the head. Look, the, ever since um, COVID, yeah, the COVID rule changes came in, he hit the ground running 124. Another ton four weeks later, a massive ton after that, ton towards the end of the season. The only thing to add is that probably gets offset a little bit by, you know, a couple, like a 26, a 38, and a 16 in there. I don't think your top sort of fullbacks like Teddy and Trebojevic are going to have a floor that low. I think their, their floor is probably more like sort of 35s and their, their ceilings are, are much higher. Like those guys are going to give you sort of five or six tons and three of those are going to be 150. So I think blokes like that, you may as well just throw out the extra 100, 200k for blokes like that rather than spend something on on um spend this sort of money on Gutho for basically staple sort of seventies. And that's assuming he's gonna get seventies as well again. Um I, I think he's I think he's gonna go just as well as last year. He might have a couple of much better games where he's sweeping out left, he feeds a couple to Civo. Maybe there's a, a Civo type resurgence out there that gives him a hand. Um I'd probably prefer him if Probably for the, or, the middle origin break if for some reason he's not playing origin mate, but I can't really sort of see that. And um only if he's sort of kicking goals, but I can't really sort of see that. So he's probably a lay for me. It's just too too much of a key position to waste money. I think there's too much value at fullback with maybe Pappy kicking goals or, or Turbo being being cheaper and Teddy doing what he is. I think he's probably fourth string abs- at absolute best for that position, mate. Yeah, it's probably fair. And oh, look, I'd like to say that I'm going to give Clint a run, but I'm not going to. Uh, I just I'm on the Teddy Turbo trade. I'm going to say that early. Teddy Turbo for me. He's my round one starters, and I don't see myself changing that. But to play devil's advocate and to give Gutho a bit of credit, there is a strategy in the super coach world for 2021 where you could say to yourself, I, I'm not going to spend you know, almost $900,000 on James Tedesco. I'm going to save that money and put it elsewhere, quarter of a million dollars elsewhere, and I'm going to run Clint Gutherson and say that he's going to average 85 points because in that... First five rounds at least, four out of those five are at Bank West, and he's got a good draw, uh, and he's going to make some money. So at 617k, I'm going to guess that I can get as good or better points than what Teddy will get for less money for the first, say, five or six rounds, and then I can do hopefully a straight swap to Tedesco and maybe, you know, a plum draw matchup on round seven or something like that. That's a strategy that I could see working if someone had the balls to do it. Uh, I don't have the balls to do it, and I just like those other guys, and I'm too scared of Teddy throwing out a 200 for three weeks. So There is some sense, and it does make uh, the, the logic is there. The only flaw in that theory is, though, um, look, even for the 124 and 166 and the 102 that he had in that first sort of six, seven-week period, his five-round his five round average was basically only touched 100 once. It was it was generally nowhere no nowhere near near enough to sort of get the price the price rise, particularly when uh, Teddy's average over the first six weeks last year was 130. So even though Teddy's 800 grand, um, I'll be back in Teddy to be you know, a million bucks by the time, you know, Gutho peaks and you'll be still be paying more for him then anyway. So I reckon the, the risk reward is just completely offset by the Teddy factor, mate. 
Yep, yep, fair enough. I mean, you, you could go the other way too and say, well, I'll pick Teddy and, and Gutherson, and I'll say that maybe Turbo is going to come in a little bit slower than normal. I mean, maybe that would work out a little bit better. I wouldn't be willing to risk my season on that, mate. It's kind of like going to a Formula race and saying, "Look, I'll put some slicks on the uh, on the dart and just see if that <laughs> see if that works for the first lap." <laughs> I, I do have to talk up Clint a little bit because he had a great season, but I'm not going there either. Hopefully, Clint listens so he knows that we um, we spoke about him for five minutes, so he knows that you know he's appreciated, but he's just not going to be any of our Supercoach teams. Next gun off the rank for the Eels, Nathan Brown. So a bit of a resurgent gun. Obviously, he's a podcast favourite because we've spoken about him many times and we've been upset many times when he keeps getting hurt. Last year was no exception. Uh, I started with him last year, threw up 47, and then he threw up 32 points in an injury-affected game, and then he was out for two weeks, back for two weeks, out for another two weeks. Very frustrating. Obviously, I sold him, but he comes into this season averaging 66 point, points per game last year. He returned in round nine and played through to around 20 when the season finalised. Uh, 580k, 66 points per game. He's a bit of a cut price gun compared to some of the bigger names. He was actually the 11th best second row forward in 2020 with his 66 points. That included one injury game of 38 as well, so you take that out and he edges pretty close to 70. Uh, what I really liked about him is when he returned from his injuries in round 9 and played the season out, Aside from his injury-affected game that he had in there where he went off early one game, he did average 70 points a game. And 7 of 11 of those games were 70-plus. So he hit the 70-plus regularly. It wasn't like he was getting some big scores to offset, you know, the 55s or whatever. And I really thought that he looked like the old Nathan Brown that I wanted. His resurgence really came down to a minutes increase, though. So average score per game in 2019 was 59. He went up 7 points to 66 in 2020, but his minutes in 2019 were 58, and he went up to 64 minutes in 2020, so pretty much his extra six minutes meant he got an extra seven points, and his PPM really says that's basically what's going to happen, um, so he kind of performed the same as what he has in previous years, or at least in 2019, he just ended up getting the extra minutes. I guess my question to you, Billy, before you give us a bit of analysis on Brownie, um, I really like him. Um, I did ask myself the question, with all these bench forwards that have come in uh, and the Eels pack pretty stacked, you know, do you think that he's still going to get that 64 minutes again? Do you think he might lose two or three, in which case it's it's probably going to be a four-point drop? You know, where do you kind of see the rotation changing, if at all? I think he still gets the 65 minutes, probably straight off the bat. That's what happened last year after COVID, 59 minutes, 62 minutes, 80 minutes. So they threw him kind of straight, straight in there. The only reason I'm not really sort of keen on him is because he doesn't have that scare factor. Like, he could have a, an absolutely ball tear of a game and score 110, but the very next week he goes right back to 65-65. He's not really going to score enough to, to end your season. Um, I feel kind of the same with Tom Lalo. So I feel a bloke, a bloke like um, uh, Nathan Brown um, is probably better served as you know, downgrading to, you know, a mid-ranger who's just going to give you sort of 50 points at a real cheap rate or even go like a Joy Arrow type who's, you know, pro- probably 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 cheaper and going to give you a bit more upside with a, a team like South playing playing in the middle off a guy like sort of Cook who can who can pump up uh, bigger scores. I um, really liked the guy as a player. Um, I think my, my favourite moment last year is watching him come on Origin and just take, take out hit-ups right up the middle just wanting to kill fellas. Really looking forward to seeing him uh, do that again for the Eels. But... 
unless the guy's playing 80 minutes, mate, in a Paul Gallo type thing, type role, I just don't have any interest in him at all. Yeah, fair enough. I, I do have some interest in him. Um, I'm finding it hard to fit him because there's a lot of other good second rails and you name some of them, so that's probably what's going to keep me out. He's hitting, he is hitting his prime years, though. Age 27, he's really in his prime now, and I do like how he finished the year. Six out of seven games were 70-plus points um, for a 75 average. Uh, he ended up really, really hitting his stride. Uh, he ended up finishing eighth in offloads last season as well out of everybody. So top 10 in the NRL in offloads was 30 for the year. Uh, and obviously has a great work rate with a raw base of 56. So I really like him. Um, he's going to be owned by probably, well, 6% or less of teams, I would say. So the pod factor is definitely there. You raise a good point that there's a lot of other good options, I guess. Yeah, like he can be your pod, but at 6% ownership, is he going to score 130 or 140 in one game to shoot you up the ladder? Highly, highly unlikely. Is he potentially going to score, you know, a 38 or a 54 early to sort of not really give you a bang, bang for your buck? Not really. Uh, possibly. Unlikely, but possible. But I think the likelihood, the likelihood of value there is probably on the downside more and more on the upside. So I think he's a great bloke, really, really consistent with his runs, probably just more, more of an injury concern um, rather than sort of um, uh, the X factor to punch up the ladder early. So it's a no for me. Yeah, it's fair enough. I couldn't begrudge anyone for doing it. The next guy we're going to talk about is an on-the-rise gun. So somebody who kind of busts through in the gun status last year, whether he holds that, we need to sort of talk it out and see what we think. But Junior Paulo, I think, was probably one of my best buys last year. I bought him pretty early in the piece, uh, probably sort of five, six rounds into the season. I grabbed Junior Paulo, and I was really, really impressed with him. Ended up scoring 64 points per game in season 2020. That was fifth best for any front row forward. 570k he comes in at on this season. A couple of numbers that really stood out for me, Billy. He had similar minutes to 2019 in 2020, but he managed to produce six points per game more. Uh, a lot of that PPM rise was his base attack, which I was really, really impressed with. So offloads and TBs, basically. So he led the NRL with offloads with 54 total for the season. That was nine more than the guy who finished second in David Clemmer and 18 more than third place. So he averaged two and a half offloads a game, uh, two and a half TBs a game as well. So he was really, really high ranked on the TBs for forwards as well. And he did all that scoring zero tries for the year. So as far as upside goes, you know, even two tries gives him an extra couple of points at least on his average for season 2021. So I do see a little bit of upside there. Uh, and he, he did taper off a little bit in the second half of the season. He, he copped a couple of injuries where he had some injury-affected games. Um, and it was also some resting because of some back spasms and stuff. So he played a heap of games in the you know, 48, 48, 49 minute range for three weeks in a row where he scored really poorly. Uh, and another game where he's rested after playing 40 minutes as well. So that back third of the season, his minutes actually went way down. Um, just to manage him and his injuries. And as a result, he's probably got a little bit of value there. Raw base around 48. Um, I'm definitely considering him, whether I can do it or not. But if Payne Haas is suspended, you know, this is a guy that was ranked fifth out of all front row forwards last year, has upside with try scoring ability um, and minutes and also some price with that last third of the season. I do think that he's a decent pod option to at least have a look at. 
I think he's a pot option. I think if he starts with the um, uh, the same spike in intensity that he did last year um, and punches those numbers um, that you can see early, that 70 average, I think you're probably winning a little bit. It's probably more of a, uh, a little like a 5% upside rather than sort of a massive gain there. You've probably covered the minutes at the end of the season a lot better than what I could. I just saw the minutes, um, the minutes dropping significantly and thought, uh, is he going to do the same? I didn't realize that there was that many injury games. I know there was the one game where it was 41 off, off, off 40 and then sort of did come on for the rest of the game because I remember, um, I'm not sure if it was you or half a dozen other like screaming. <laughs> oh, I was screaming bloody <laughs> was murder, mate. Him, to, get, <laughs> to get him back on, I remember that one. Mate, I'm kind of putting him in the, um, in Nathan Brown category, like he's just, he's all over the shop. He, he reminds me of um, uh, Junior Paul of the old days where he, he came on the scene with only place of the 35 minutes on the field. But he carries he carries the um, the pill like an elephant, has that like little elephant trunk where he just, just dangles it when, he, when he's got three or four blokes hanging off him and just gets it away for that line break assist. That's where his real value is, but uh, he just doesn't play enough minutes for me, mate. I would... I'm kind of I'm kind of inclined to go someone like the um that um, massive that massive unit for the um the the Warriors. Forty five minutes of him will be just just as good as Junior Paula. Oh, not Mur- they got, Murdoch Salah. Yeah. Oh, mate. I don't know. He's he's a lot less. I mean, you could have him as well because he's only sort of three hundred thirty k. But I know the thing with I, I guess the thing for me with Paulo, you know, the guys that average more than him last season. Aiden Tolman, who's gone, Tavita Pangai, who, you know, is huge risk all the time, and Payne Haas, who could be suspended, so say he's out. That leaves David Clemmer as the only player that averaged more points in the front row forward rotation than um, than Junior Paulo. I sort of see him as, like, if Payne Haas is out, um, I'm going to be looking at Junior Paulo as an option. And I say that too, looking at the draw. Uh, when, he, when he's got a weak forward pack, he absolutely smells it, and he's just... Tackle breaking and offloading like an animal. Now, again, home crowd, hopefully anyway, COVID pending, four out of five games at Bank West. Playing against that Broncos pack, who have been soft in the past, the Sharks pack looks awful. Um, the Dragons pack looks pretty inexperienced as well in those first five games. And then the Tigers pack's pretty solid most of the time, but still, you know, there's a lot of offloading there and a lot of teams that allow a lot of offloads. So, it, if Payne Haas is gone, I think that he's more of a consideration. Um, I'd want to see that he's fit, though, and I guess you raise a good point with, is he going to come in and play those minutes, or, or is he sort of going to be eased in and then play the bigger minutes sort of three or four rounds in? Yeah, that's probably a, a valid risky point. Mate, I'm actually really considering going a different route and going opposite the good old days. You know, the good old days where you'd have, like, sort of Paul Gallon or Sergis in the sort of front row, and you'd be getting sort of an 80 or possibly even 85 sort of average early from big 80 minutes to the second rowers. Yep. We don't really have any sort of Paul Gallon or Corey Parker, um, like big minute forwards you can slot in there. A lot of the others are just sort of 55 minutes or 55 sort of point plotters. So if Payne Haas is out early and it, it, it gets rid of that risk that, look, he might sort of punch the his 2019 average, you know, average 85 off sort of, you know, 58 minutes, whatever it is. I'm kind of inclined to not even worry about the front row and just go look, just get a couple of blokes who can who are really cheap, give you a, a, a guarantee to start each week or, or just play 45, 50 minutes, give you a stable sort of 50, 55 score. I'll be more than happy with that to use that coin to absolutely smash my halves, hookers, fullbacks, 
couple of mid-price second rowers just to go with Madison and one other bloke and then just get some decent stuff in, in, the, in the center three quarter rather than going full bums. I think it might be a year where I'm happy just going some real cheap crap in the, in the, in the 8 and 10 jersey, mate. Yeah, and there's not a lot there, which is why Paulo's always looked like such a good option. Um, really, you know, you've got Haas, Paulo, Clemmer, TKO, um, and, you know, Tavita Pangai with his, his added risk, obviously. And those are your big um, front row forwards. The other guys, relatively inconsistent, although um, Josh Papali went nuts sort of the second half of the season. So, yeah, you, you know, it's a valid strategy, valid point. We've probably spent too long on Paulo, so let's talk about the other gun on the rise, uh, and that is Dylan Brown. So Dylan Brown really had a caveat party. He he had a fantastic year as a player, non-supercoach related, really didn't like how he played, and I made that quite vocal on several occasions. You know this very well, Billy. I've yelled at you about it many times. Dylan Brown's got a really good running game. Unfortunately, he doesn't have much of a passing game because he never does it unless he's really stuck and he gives someone a hospital pass. You know, that was what Michael Jennings and Sevo got all the time. And there's going to be, look, there's going to be some Parramatta Eels fans that disagree with me. That's fine, guys. You know, it's, it doesn't mean that we can't be friends. Doesn't mean you can't listen to the podcast. It's just, you got to disagree on stuff with footy. You know, I'm fine to disagree on it, but to me, Dylan Brown has a terrible passing game. He kind of plays a bit selfish sometimes, which, you know, a lot of young guys do. And it meant that Michael Jennings and Sebo did not get any ball. Um, but for a super coach perspective, that meant he was absolute gold because his runs went up, he had some offloads, he was creating stuff as well back on the inside away from those outside backs. So he did have a good super coach season. And I'm not saying he's a shit player in real life. You know, he's a good player. He's just got some things that he's got to develop in his passing game if he wants to be a first-class half, in my opinion. 565k comes in this year, Billy. 64 points per game. Obviously went into gun status with that 64 average. He increased from 46 points per game in 2019 to that 64. Two tons in his 16 games, um, which is reasonably impressive for a young fella. But only six out of those 16 games were 60 plus. And six out of 16 were actually below 50 points as well. So, you know, 40% of his games, he was giving you below 50 points. And this is my problem with Dylan Brown. This would be something that Wilfred will have a go at me about after he listens to this podcast, I'm sure. But, you know, Wilfred's a massive Dylan Brown fan. He's on the that far end of the spectrum that, that loves Dylan Brown. He had him last year. He loved owning him. I'm on the other end where I he's, his really good games are great. But he's just got too many of those games where he's kind of below 50 points. And I think that the elephant in the room for his regression is Mitchell Moses had a really below pass season. And we're going to talk about that more shortly. But you know, Moses can't play as badly as he did last year. And he was also injured for a portion of it, around 25% of the games, I think. So that's not going to happen again. Um, so I'm, I think that maybe Dylan Brown can average 60 points. I don't think he's going to average 64. Uh, I'm I'm not on the Dylan Brown bandwagon at all, but he was quite popular at the halfway point last year. He pretty much averaged 60 all year. Like the the only reason he's he's up around that um 65 mark is because of that 123 early versus the Gold Coast. So they're not going to be pushovers again. Um, and he would he would have to play what Gold Coast Gold, Gold Coast Bulldogs Bulldogs pretty much the first sort of five games to try and find one of those large scores again. Um. Mate, as good as the Eels draw is, I reckon he doesn't average over 60 for the first half of the season. I just don't see it. 
Yeah, I don't either. Um, and I, you know, I, he's five eight only as well. He was a, a dual previously. This year, he's only a five eight. I just think there's too many better options to look at for that. Hundred percent, particularly when you've got a, a bloke like Munster who's potentially going to be kicking. If he does that, every man his dog would have to have him. And then, what do you do? You, are you going to fill up your reserve five eight spot with another gun or another mid range or or just a cheap ass bloke who's going to make you money? Yeah, and there's multiple guys that are going to make money and also be mid-range guys that you can look at for this year in the 5.8 spot as well. Uh, I just, I, you know, I've said with guys like, um, like Clint Gutherson and even Nathan Brown and Paul A to a degree, you know, I, I might, I might not end up going them. I probably won't end up going them and I definitely won't end up going Gutherson, but I can see them as being options that could pay off or give you something. I can't really see Dylan Brown paying off at his price point, giving you much at all. I just, I just, I can't see it. I might be wrong, but I just don't see much at yeah, all there. I agree with you 100%, mate. I think the, I think the catalyst for really, really blowing SC out this year is Papenhuisen getting the kicking over Munster. Because if he does that, then all of a sudden people have to decide, all right, am I going to get Pappy with an extra 14 to 16 points that Smith would have got, or do I get, um, Turbo in there, or do I, do I now get Teddy in there? Which which combination combination of those two am I going to get? And if if Munster isn't 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 kicking, is he worth that price? I think it puts a lot more things, a lot more um, um, equations out there that you can probably sort of choose from. Agreed. So let's talk about the big balls, pods, or Smokies. Um, we may as well start off with Moses because we've mentioned him a couple times and. He is certainly a big balls pot if you want to go there. Obviously, it's a draw that is conducive to Moses, especially the first five weeks of the season, four or five at Bank West. He's going to be the goal kicker. He's going to come in healthy. Moses comes in at 481000 so pretty cheap, um, and that's because he only averaged 54 points per game in 2020. That 54 was a big drop-off from his 62 points per game in 2019, which was a bit of a coming-out party where he got his gun status. Um, obviously fell down quite a bit, eight points a game. Uh, he had low scores of 20, 26, and 32, um, which were non-injury-affected lows. He also had another one that was quite low, but it was injury-affected with an 18-pointer. So we all know that he's got those low scores in him. I think for this season past, the thing that was most disappointing with Mitchell was he didn't have as many of those big scores. Um, he only had the one ton, which was 108, uh, and that was it. Um, he's normally good for a few of those big scores, and he didn't really have them last year. Part of that was because he missed um, basically you know, th- four games. He got injured in one game and missed the next three um, through an injury, and he seemed to struggle when he came back from that a little bit as well initially. So you know that might have played a part of it. Um, but he only ended up with nine try assists, and that was the biggest thing for me, Billy, and why I think that maybe Dylan Brown might regress a little bit, because um, nine try assists is very low for Moses. In 2019, he was near the top of the ladder in try assists at 25. So to fall from 25 to nine try assists is huge. Even if he gets you know somewhere in the middle there, he's still going to end up doubling his try assists on last year, and he's also goal-kicking for that too. So he doesn't just get you know the, the points in those try assist from the TS. He's also going to get the goals he'll get to attempt as well um, at getting those extra ones. So I I know that he's a bit shit sometimes, and I know that you're pretty down on him. Um, I wasn't going to consider him at all until I looked through the draw and also looked at my bank account and went, oh, shit, you know, that's right, we've got a real one salary cap, and this is going to be a bit tougher. Um, and I, I've started to actually consider Moses as like a big balls hand grenade pod for the first 
you know, five or six weeks of the season. Um, so do you think that's crazy at 481k? Can you see him stepping back up even just a little bit more? No. We won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, mate. I'll, I'll try and talk a little bit more <laughs> rather than cut you off there. I don't think so because, like you said, he, he, he's – Two for two points. Number one, he's too sporadic. Even if he does get a big ton, he's going to follow up with a 15 or something rather, even with that draw. So he might average 60, 65. But he's in one of those positions where there's much better on offer. If I was going to go a big balls pod, and I know you're probably going to talk about this bloke in, in another five or ten minutes or something rather, look at a bloke like Sivo, who's probably the same price or cheaper. He's in a position where there's a difference between those sort of an average of 40 versus 70 as opposed to other halves who might be 55 versus a 70. Sivo averaged um, what 70 for the first few games last year with a couple of huge tons before he fell away. He's in a position where same good draw, same good halves. I just think a bloke like that probably has more upside for a big balls pod and a VC option as opposed to a half where there's so many better options. Oh, sorry, a couple of much more decent options and better teams. That's just my two, my two cents there, mate. Yep. Oh, look, I can't disagree with anything that you said. I do think that there's some merit in stacking the halves, um, in which case you could have Moses as your, as your second half. Um, the fact that he kicks goals and he's got that draw, I think, is good. And look, I will say, I'm not going to... Um, I don't want to be a Moses apologist, but um, you know he did have some things go against him last year. I'm not the biggest fan of him as a player. Um, I know I might sound like it on some of the podcasts, but I'm really not. And I'm not an advocate of saying, you know, Moses is going to be Cleary or something. Like Moses is a guy, he's one of those players where you can plug and play him for a period. He's a, he's a period player. And you're aiming to get him on one of his periods that are going to be a 70-point average for a, a four- to six-week option. Then you're going to punt him, and then you're going to get rid of him. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking at. That's why I, I sort of look at the draw and sort of see it's pretty conducive to starting with him if you're going to have him at all at any point because the starting draw for the Eels is gold. If you decide that you think that the Eels are going to score a lot of points and they're the ones that are going to benefit most out of the draw and they've certainly got one of the more appealing draws in the NRL, then I think that that has some merit in considering guys like Moses. And I'm going to do the taco girl here, Billy, where I say, why not both? Why can't I have Moses and Sivo? They're both in the 400s. Why can't I have both? Uh, let me ask you a different question. Uh, in the yeah, you probably <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an option. I just wouldn't do it. Think of it as halves, though. If you were going to go him as a backup half, would you take him over a bloke like Moylan or um, Milford? Yes. Do you, do you, do you rate him highly? Yes. Do too. I just see it as four hundred grand. I could I could probably use elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I've done some play rounds with some different builds, as, as probably you have 25,000 times. You know, one of my builds, I, I could get a pretty good team out of having Cleary, Moses, Munster, Milford as my halves. And I was reasonably happy with that. And it also means that you've got two reserves there that you can be pretty confident with for the first month compared to the other rubbish that you normally have to reserve. Yeah, it gets rid of that crap option where... Um somebody just lingers there for half the season and you just can't get rid of them. And by the time you find a way to get rid of them, your main half gets injured and you have to play them or you haven't got enough coin and yeah, they end up stinking up there for God knows how long. He's a backup option. I just think he's an expensive one. I really think a bloke like um, Schuster who, who might end up getting, getting a gig and he's got a really, really decent sort of work rate in regards to tackles. So 
I'm, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to sort of go that way and pray for like, like that sort of get, get, gets a run pretty soon and um, probably ends up scoring the same just in defence, mate. Yep, completely fair enough. And, I mean, odds are that we're going to get a, um, a cheap half um, that's going to come through um, and that one's going to sort of be a must-have. So that's going to take out one spot anyway straight away, having to get that guy to make a, a cash cow spot available. Let's talk about Sebo a bit more. Um, he's our other big balls pod smoky, and you've mentioned him. Um, I like him in a way, and in other ways, I'm quite scared of him. So, had a big regression last season. 456k he comes in at, and that's because he only averaged 52 points a game. That's a drop from 59 to 52, which is quite a significant drop. He had 145 and 103 for his two tons. Um, that was the same as the year prior, but the year prior he had three times 90 plus games as well as his two tons, which he did not have. Um, so, why did he go down seven points a game? The big thing that I could come across, Billy, and I did this watching the game as an owner and then also trawling through the numbers, is his base base attack fell. Um, so 26 base raw in 2019 compared to 22 raw in 2020. 26 base is passable as well. 22 is just dirt. So that's a really bad drop-off. His tackle breaks dropped as well. So less runs, less tackle breaks for Sebo, basically. He still scored 15 tries, so his strike rate was still fine. 75% of the time he was scoring a try. Um, he only really had two droughts all season that were more than one game. He had a three-game drought and a two-game two drought. That was it. All the other times, if he didn't score one week, you knew he was going to score the next, and it happened. So he was one of my sports bet specials. I was elated all the time because 75% of the time, I won on a $1.90 to $2.20 anytime Sebo try. But... As an owner, he really, really hurt me with how lazy he was. Um, there was times where he looked disinterested. There was times where he looked frustrated. I think some of that was to do with um, Dylan Brown and Jennings not getting him any ball. Um, to put something on Sebo, though, he wasn't going in and looking for the ball enough. He kind of looked lame a lot of the time, which made me question when he was injured sometimes because he moved pretty badly. A couple of times he got in the clear on the outside and he just didn't sprint, uh, which was odd. So... I'm, I'm not sure what to make of it, but I do know that in centre wing, there really isn't much there. I do like to have one or two guys as Smokies to start off that I think can get some big scores. 450k kind of hits the mark on the price. It's not bad for someone with his upside. And I think the draw gets him across the line as being a viable option as one of your one or two foundations for round one in centre wing. He is a viable option. I think I don't know if he was lazy or what, mate, but yeah, he, the kick returns just weren't there. And that, that, that's what you want. You sort of... um. Your fullbacks doing, oh, sorry, your, your wingers doing. You really want them doing what Mansour started doing again last year. So the question is, I mean, Mansour had a couple of lean years where he just wasn't doing it, wasn't getting it. He, he and he came back from um, a knee reco or shoulder or something, didn't he? I kind of hope with the rule changes and an absolutely flogged preseason that Sivo's been told he needs to get back in there and start doing some of the pig work again, start helping out the forwards by. Uh, making the big beers and the hit-ups like like your old, your old mate sort of Tupu. I um, hope I got that name right. I'm pretty hopeless with names, aren't I? You got that one um, right. You did well with that one, mate. And that's who he should yeah. be. Like, he should be a Tupu-type workhorse, getting the, the 10, 12-metre runs, a couple of tackle breaks, and doing it 15 to 20 times a game. And he's just yeah. he's just not doing it at the moment. And that's the concerning thing. 100%. If, if he did that, I would grab him in a heartbeat. He would be 100% undervalued, and you would take him for that in, in pure base tackle busts and, and hit-ups um, with the tries being the reward. But unfortunately, it looks like you're relying on the tries, and then if he, start, if he does any, any work, that's the bonus. 
I would much rather be relying on the tries rather than the base, mate, because he's either going to put it in or he's not. I'm not taking him. Um, I think there's value there if he has that work that work rate. I think the best gauge for him is probably just watch the trials and see what his work rate is like. Mm. See if he's doing those big runs. That's probably the only real indicator you can get. And apart from that, the only other thing I'll say is um, I think there's a couple of other real good options out there for um, that centre three-quarter. And just I know you'll, you'll do pods with other guys, but personally I think the value in the centre three-quarter is um, two blokes in um, Holmes and um, Kelly. Yep, um, Kelly's an interesting one. I'm going to leave him out. Holmes, at the moment, one of my top builds that I'm probably leaning towards has Sevo and Holmes as my two expensive centre wings, and the rest are obviously mid to low price guys. So that's sort of where I'm leaning. But I will say the scariest thing with Sevo, and I'll say this so I can alleviate any of the vitriol I'll get if he starts off really bad and everyone tries to say that I was saying that he was a buy and he's the best option in centre wing. I'm not saying that, guys. Not at all. I'm saying he's one option that could work. Um, but the problem with him is he's either going to work and you're going to be really happy or he's going to be absolutely dog shit and kill you. Um, unfortunately, with Sebo, there is no in-between. He's either going to be awful or stunningly awesome. Um, and what you get, I, I couldn't tell you. I think that you, oh, I'm probably going to err on the side of banking on the draw and saying that I think that he's going to score a try every one of those first five weeks. The problem is if his base base attack isn't there, some of those try scoring games could be 45, 50 points anyway, uh, which isn't going to be fantastic for you in that first five weeks. So, yeah. Question for you. Just thought about this, this just then, so I've got absolutely no other thought into it. Jennings is an absolute hog um, and is no longer there. Whoever, whoever takes his place, do you think that person benefits from having a bloke like Sivo outside that he might be able to shovel a couple of quick balls to and have the big fella storm over the line and get more um, assists? Yeah, look, I think Tomo's the front runner at the moment, and certainly Wacko, in Wacko's whispers, has said that Tomo's probably going to get it and been training there. He's probably going to pass more than what Jennings was, so it's a really good point. The problem is that he's got to get the ball in a decent enough position, and I think that some of... I do think that Michael Jennings was a bit of a hog, but I do think that it was somewhat overstated because there was also probably half the time where he was perceived to hog it where he got given a hospital pass because Dylan Brown was running around or taking his time or playing with the ball, and then when the defensive line got up, he's just thrown it to Jennings with a guy a metre away from him. So I do think half of it's true and half of it's kind of hard on Michael Jennings. Tomo is probably going to pass the ball a little bit more, um, so there's probably some upside from Michael Jennings not being there. Let's move on to uh, a couple that uh, we've got listed under, you know, mistakes or, or errors that um, guys might be going off against and, and grabbing for their super coach teams. The first guy is a fallen gun who's he's fallen for so many years that he's no longer a fallen gun. He's just no good, and that's Blake Ferguson. So I used to love Fergo a few years back. He won me a couple of grand finals about four years ago, but comes in this year at 356k, only averaged 40 points per game. His three-year regression the last three years is startling. He's now gone 65 points a game in 2018, 54 a game in 2019, and 40 points a game in 2020. Obviously, there's a pattern there. He's going downhill. He's been doing it since he came from the Roosters. Um, and the thing is now that he's sort of... He's bookended that 65 points with two shit seasons on either side. So, you know, when he went 51, 49, 65 at the Roosters, you could kind of say... 
and looking at him, you could say, you know, his game's changed. This is him priming. You know, it's it's just that he was improving. That's why his other seasons were poor. And now that he's flanked those, you know, that good season with another two on the other side that are really poor in 54 and 40, it looks more and more likely that that 65 season was a bit of an outlier, maybe playing for a contract or a bit of respect. But he only scored a, a try in round 17 for the first time last year. Uh, he could barely get across the line. I, I just... Watching him, Billy, like kind of a little bit like Sebo, he looked a bit lame. He didn't look as fast. And the big thing is he wasn't doing the kamikaze hit-ups that he was at the Roosters, at the Eels, you know, and his work rate seemed to be that little less enthusiastic and just not as good. And he just... I, I really don't know what to make of it, so I want you to pull me out of this and you take over here because at 350-odd K, he could work out. Like, if he pumps out some tries to start that first month run of, of good games, maybe he, he starts off well. Yeah, you know, I could see it happening, but he just hasn't looked good for the last few years, and the trajectory is just suggested he's just not going to be. I wouldn't go anywhere near him, mate. I said that last year and the year before, and I'll say it again. No one who comes out of the Roosters system on that right-hand side improves. You can put Brett Morris at the Eels next year, and the same thing would happen, mate. The only way you want to the only way you want to back him is if Brett Morris leaves and he goes back to the Roosters, and all of a, all of a sudden is priced at that going going into um into that teammate. There's no way in hell I'm, I'm touching him. He's like you said, his his work rate isn't the same. He's not getting fed by the same sort of service. Don't care I don't care like how good he has been in the past, mate. I'm just not in that team. And particularly what you said, how many tries last year versus the year before? What does that say about old mate Moses? That's his, that's his side. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe if Moses picks up again, he might get a couple of extra tries. But I mean, look, even a couple of extra tries, you know, it's like 42, 43 points, maybe. Like, he's just, I think that the glaring thing for me when I look at it is he only had three games out of playing 19 where he hit 50 plus points. And obviously he's hit three tries as well. And he's only got two that are 60 plus games out of 19 games. And he's got a, a slew of games, like 70% of his games are below 40. So getting yeah, so 26s, 29s, 33s, 37s, 21s, 23s, like you read these scores out and it's just horrid. So basically based off those numbers you just read out, he needs to get on average one line break and one try per game to average near 60. Absolute waste. Um, let's move on to the South Sydney Rabbits, Billy. Cause Good, we, I think we've gone through too many years. Too, I, don't, I don't want to turn you off your team, mate. So let's move on to a different one and you can be a bit more optimistic. So Rabbitohs for 2021. A um, few new faces, notably Jai Arrow is a big signing, but also Josh Mansour is a huge one as well. Uh, a couple of good depth signings or, or potential starters, um, Jacob Host and uh, also Tatao Moga, if they have some problems in the back line, he'll probably come straight in. And Tarn Milne, who's, who's come around a few different teams but looked promising in the past, is over there now too. Losses, we've got Ethan Lowe retired, uh, James Roberts gone, Bailey Sirianen to the Warriors, Jack Johns to the Knights and Joseph Suali to the Roosters and Corey Allen to the Dogs. So, fair, look, a few big signings and a, a couple of, you know, pretty big losses. I really think Bailey Sirenham was coming into his own looking like a player of the future. Uh, Allen and Roberts obviously can have a bit of strike and Ethan Lowe was playing some pretty big minutes in the Ford pack. So, uh, a bit of a, a mix, but I think overall they look a lot better with the guys coming in. As far as the draw goes for the Rabbits, it's not as promising as the Eels draw at all for Supercoach. So three out of the first four are actually away games. The first two are away against the Storm and Manly. Uh, Amy Park and Lotto Land, not too 
happy hunting grounds for the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Uh, then they hit the Roosters at home, uh, and then they got the Dogs away and the Broncos at home. So as far as the first five weeks, you know, pretty mixed bag. Starts off pretty bad, gets a little bit better. Um, round six, they go to the Tigers, then into the Titans, and then into the Raiders at GIO Stadium. Titans and Raiders both away in seven and eight. Probably not as easy against the Titans as it looks traveling up there these days. So probably a bit of a mixed bag for the South Sydney Rabbitohs for their first couple months of their draw. I think they'll go pretty decent this year. Um, probably a top four side should be what they finish. Whether they do or not, we'll have to wait and see. But how do you sort of feel about the South Sydney Rabbitohs for 2021, Billy? Yeah, mate, they've got a lot of, a lot of good attacking options in there from... Um... Supercoach perspective, uh, I'm pretty excited about some of the players in there. Some of them I'm excited about that you can't, might not really be able to play them. Um, the, one I'm, the, one I'm mo- the thing I'm most interested with them is how they manage that sort of um, uh, front row or, or the forwards of the rotation and how they how they take advantage of sort of you know, the, the key guys that obviously is on um, on the back of everyone's minds, like you know the. Um, How's the arrow acquisition going to work with Murray's playing middle? Does Murray play middle and arrow go up front, or does Murray go edge? And how does how, how, how does two attacking sort of um, middle forwards like uh, Arrow and Murray affect Cook? Does Cook all of a sudden become more potent than, than what he was before? They've got some great guys on the bench too. They've got that Keon oh, alphabet soup name, whatever you call it. He, he's, been, <laughs> he, he's been he's been rated very highly for the last sort of couple of years. So. Um, he, he's got a bit. He's got a bit of bit of um, bit of oomph to him as well. So, I think they were. Um, they'll definitely be a top four side. Uh, how far they How far they go with you know, a hungry sort of Penrith, a hungry sort of Raiders, and maybe sort of a uh, not a depleted a depleted storm, but you know a, a rattle a Cam Smithless kind of storm. Do they? Do they? Are they able to go one better? Don't know, mate. But it'll, it'll sure be interesting watching them this year, particularly. Um, um, what do you call it, Walker, with the, the the type of back half of season he had last year? Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing to mention too with their draw is um, whilst the Eels play the first bye, uh, the Rabbits don't. They do have a bye around 13, which is important to know. But really, I believe that that young fella that was coming through that you were talking about was Kalamatangi. You see you're after. You're pretty close. I'm, uh, I'm going to say... Off the bat, the projected team for the Rabbits doesn't seem to have any real cheapies available that are going to be um, of merit from round one. I didn't mention cheapies for the Eels because they're the same. Their side doesn't project to really have any. Um, Tarn Milne's probably the closest to it. Um, if Tarn Milne gets some day, game time or there's some injuries, he, he could come good, but he's probably the only one close to it. Let's talk about the guns, Billy. The first gun is Damian Cook, one of the best players in Supercoach in years prior, who had a bit of a fall from grace in 2020. So he comes in at 621k, 70 points per game he averaged in 2020, which, you know, in a vacuum, you'd say that's that's a pretty good season. But he's down from his average by, you know, 10% on his prior two years. So between 2018 and 2019, he averaged 77 points. And after that two-year span, he dropped to 70 in 2020. Uh, a lot of people, including me, thought that the new rules were going to really play in the Cook's hands. I thought that he was going to take advantage of it hugely. Um, didn't end up, obviously, being the case. Having said that, I don't think that he went as badly as what people thought. So he did only have three tries across two games for the season, one double game and one single try game. Uh, so there's obviously some room for upside there. He still had a base of 50 which is actually a 5% increase from what he had in 2019. So he kind of made up for some of the lack of attack with a bit of additional base, which was positive. Only 6 out of his 20 
games were below 60, though. Um, so he still ended up being the consistent cook that we all know and love. He just didn't quite have as many bigger scores, but he still managed to pull out high scores of 138, 108, and 93. <laughs> and he also had 9 out of 20 games that were 70-plus. So, look, he had the same base as Harry Grant. He just didn't seem to have as much attack. But as we've seen before, Billy, he can have more attack. Is this sort of the year that he's going to go back up to sort of that 77 type of range, or do you sort of see him plugging away at 70 still? Yes, until about six hours ago, I didn't have him in my team at all. I just all all, all aboard the uh, Harry Grant train. But um, very very close to having both of them, or at least uh, Cook in there instead. Reason I know you just rattled off some stats then, and what I'm going to do is just to give a quick spiel as well from my notes, only because the way I've written it kind of segregates it a little bit. So you looked at it from overall as well as some runs. Basically, from round three to round ten. That was post-COVID, all right? So he averaged 84. So that's very, very cook-like, all right? Yep. That was with a low of 60 and a high of 138. So he basically kicked off the year exactly the, the, the way he did the, the, the previous year. A low a low of 60 at that kind of price, price is great, all right? Now, if you take the 138 out, um, that's still a 77 average, and he's priced at 70. So even if he doesn't have a massive ton, based off the numbers from early last year, he's, he's undervalued by sort of 10%. Okay, so that that's that's just for a start. Um, so the the new rules obviously suit him. Um, that's evident by his two lowest scores last year, big in round one and two. Maybe maybe it's just an anomaly, but I don't, I, I don't think so. I think it's I don't think it's a coincidence that he came back, started slow, all of a sudden the rules change, and all of a sudden he goes on a t- on on, a, on, a, on an organic tear. Um, he did have a mid-season lull, but of that 52, 42, and forty-nine, but. What I'm trying to get at here is he didn't have low scores all over the season. He was he averaged really high and then had a three-game mid-season kind of low. That generally happens with a lot of players, um, more so when you've actually got that, um, when they sort of play origin and they're fatigued. But mid-season, mate, I think it happens to a lot of players. Um, but but even, even then, if you, if you keep those low scores in the equation, that still keeps him at a, at a season average of 74 above what he's priced at already. And um, that's obviously taking out the, 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 the round one and two scores, so just doing the pure COVID scores, okay? Um, then if you go back to the back, of the back end of the season, he never scored below 64 and was between 64 and 93. So basically he had an average of 80 for the back end of the season. So if we take the, the start of the season and the end of the season and just give him a bit of mulligan for you know the, the mid-season kind of lull that everyone has, it's one hell of a, a consistent average, mate. And I think the fact that um, the fast rules kind of kind of really help him help him. If you go back to 2019 and have a look at his start there, he he averaged eight, 86 with four tons before Origin, so he starts the year pretty well. I think at that price, mate, you've got. One hell of a consistent guy. It's about the cheapest he's going to be all year. You know he's going to punch a couple of massive tons at some point. And I think the arrow factor in there as well, as well as Murray, gives him a lot more options right down the middle. And I, I just think, I'm not going to say you're going to be crazy not forgetting him. I just think if you want to get him, it's the cheapest he's going to be. There's more upside than downside. And you could probably run with two, run with a two gun hooker strategy. Yeah, I agree with much of it. Um, he's been my starting hooker from the very first day that the team pick was released and I put together a team. Um, I wouldn't say he's one of my first picks just because I think he's going to be, you know, one of the best value guys or anything, but 
you know, as far as the hooker spot goes, you know, there's obviously not that many options. Damian Cook and Harry Grant are clearly the two top-tier sort of ones. And I think that there is some red flags with Harry Grant that we'll get through on the Melbourne Storm podcast that maybe people aren't, aren't at least looking at a little bit. Um, obviously, he's changing teams. Um, he's, he's going into a role that was um, Cameron Smith's. There's a lot of different things that are happening. It's not the same season as what it was for him. Um, whereas Cook is obviously set. He's shown us the two years before what he can be capable of. And I think we've just seen his floor. You know, and you hit the nail on the head with the downside. You start with Cook and your downside is, oh shit, he's only averaging 70. You know, oh well. Um, you know, it's, it's not something that's going to hurt you. Uh, and I think that that's going to be fine when the upside is, oh look at Cook for the first couple of months, he's averaging 85 points, you know, and that can happen. So I really like Cook to start with. Um, I can't see myself changing. I think that the price point hits really sweetly, 620k. Is expensive, but it's not overly expensive. Um, it still allows you to spread the cash around for uh, other positions and to spend on guys like Teddy and stuff. I think it's decent value. Um, I'm all aboard on the Cook train. Another guy that I'm not aboard on much at all is a guy that I know that you do love, but were pretty down on last year, and that was Murray. So Murray had a bit of a mixed bag. I will say in his defence, he wasn't as bad as what people made out. I think that it was just because he had some games that were a little bit uh, underwhelming for him because he's been so good in the past. You want better than some 50s, um, which he threw out occasionally. But he still managed to average 67 points, uh, 67 minutes. So the minutes were actually the highest he's ever played and roughly the same as 2019 for those extra minutes, 68 points versus 69 last year. So three edge games, and I think the edge games were the worry for Murray. He averaged... Not that badly. So he ended up going 70 minutes on the edge, and he scored 43, 53, and 104. So the minutes were there on the edge. Um, you could also say that the first two rounds were different edge games because, like Billy said, they were the pre-COVID rules games. So it was a little bit different. Um, the one one game's a small sample, but when we did have the new rules, he, he threw up 104. So obviously the projected teams have him moving to an edge. That does mean less work for him. Um, but he still managed to put in a base of around sort of 50-ish last year on an edge and in the prior years when he was on an edge. Um, so, look, I don't think he's as bad as what people think that he went, but at 600k, I just think that there's too much competition in second row forward to have a look at him, and the draw isn't particularly easy. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, mate. I, I love the guy as a player. Um, I love him as a super coach player when he's playing in the middle and getting decent minutes. Um yeah, you're right. Um, I didn't touch him last year. Had zero interest in him last year purely because of the the, the risk of that sort of 12, 12 move, and exactly the same thing this year. To, uh, but including the um, the arrow factor as well, the risk of him playing on the edge, as well as the concern around minutes in the middle. I think it's. I think my concerns are exactly the same as yours and everyone else's, mate. So sit back and watch for me. Yeah, I mean, look, if he starts going gangbusters, you know, you can always grab him in for round three or something. There's that many other good second-row forwards that I think are just ahead of him. Um, if you're going to spend, you spend on those guys. Yeah, and look, if, if, if you're concerned about Murray going on gangbusters, um, but, you can, but you're concerned about him sort of not, the best way to hedge might be just get Cook, because if Cook goes if Cook goes badly, he's going to average 70. If Cook goes really well, yeah, it might benefit sort of Murray, but Cook's going to be giving all the assists, so either way you win. So just get the Cook. 
the other guy that went gangbusters last year and is an out-and-out gun for five years straight is Cody Walker. Uh, now, it's always funny to me that he he's really undervalued in the supercoach world. Like, he does get spoken about, but almost always he's sub-10% ownership. Almost always. Even when he goes on big runs, he ends up sub-10% ownership still because he ends up getting himself too expensive for people to decide to invest in. So, you know... You get a Teddy that will average 120 points over a three or four week period and, and people will pay 900k for Teddy. But you get Cody Walker do it and people don't want to pay 650k for Cody Walker. I understand why and I've been one of those people before too because you know I'm worried that I'm going to cop some low scores and lose a heap of cash or that it'll go down. The thing that he showed us in 2020 is that he's really matured as a footballer. I thought he was possibly the best 5'8 in the competition last year. Uh, Average 74 points a game, up from 65 the year before. And the good thing is that four years in a row now, his super coach scores have actually gone up. 60, 61, 65, 74. So he's headed in the right direction. Um, He's had a bumper of a season. And one of the things that I think really stood out for me, though, is he went on runs where he really wasn't having any low scores. And even when he had the low scores, you know, he had 131 score and 141 score. But out of 18 games, those were the only two that were sub-50. And that's been the knock on Cody Walker in the past and certainly been a concern that you might get a 20-point game out of him or you know a 25-point game, and that's going to be regular. wasn't regular at all. For him to go 50-plus 16 out of 18 games as a half is absolutely outstanding. He also had three out of those 18 games as tons. One of them was a double ton. 203 points against the Roosters. Uh, 102 points against your Eels and 113 points against the Dragons. Um, and he's also got a heap of 80s and 90s backed in there as well. So, I mean, he, to me, Billy, I think that he proved himself last season as a guy that's reliable and isn't going to get you those consistent lower scores in between his big ones. And he's more than just a run player, I reckon. He's a he's an out-and-out option um, for anyone to start round one. And if Munster doesn't get the kicking... Cody Walker should be one of your prime candidates to take that spot. Yeah, agree. Um, I think the year before last, he actually started on the fire as well. Just off the numbers that you added then, I think it's really important to note that that 203 score was against the best team in the competition. Um, 102 versus the Eels, who were top four at the time, and his sixth best score was 81 versus the Storm. So a lot of his lowest scores were against bottom-ranked teams, you know, Manly, Broncos, Newcastle, Bulldogs, um, oh, Canberra was the bottom rank, the bottom rank one, but so don't be afraid of the draw with him. I think if he's going to score well, he's going to score well regardless. I think, I think he's a he's a he's a great buy. Um, Average ninety two to finish off the end end of the season last year. So definitely found his form, um, which Cody Walker shows up though. Not sure, but look, worst case scenario is going to get a couple of big scores at some point early, so probably just a personal choice rather than sort of listening to you or me too much on this one. He's just one of those guys that you'll either end up buying or hating because you missed. Yeah, and look, I think the key with Cody Walker is he was the number one 5'8 last year, by the way, by a pretty wide margin. Cameron Munster was number two at 70 points a game. Cody Walker was number one at 74 points. You know, four points better between one and two. That's a big difference. Now, you know, Munster might get the kicking. Maybe that makes it up. But the big, the last point I'll make on Cody Walker is you're going to have 20-plus percent of, of coaches have Cameron Munster as their 5'8", at least, especially with the other options pretty, you know, decimated at the moment for 5'8". You'll be hard-pressed to get 5, 6, 7% of people on Cody Walker. 
Um, and I would wager that the first couple of months of the season, there won't be much difference between them. But, um, and that's a worst case scenario. Best case scenario, you know, Munster doesn't get the kicking and Cody Walker goes on a run and scores a couple of big ones. And he could be legitimately, you know, 10 points a week better than what Kevin Munster might be over that period. So I definitely think he's an option. Um, I think he's one of the top ones for 5A. Let's move on to a fallen gun, Billy, and one of your favourite players, Jai Arrow. Come across to the Rabbits. I think that he's been wasted a little bit at the Titans the last couple of years, so I'm excited to see what he does. Um, I'm going to go right out there and say it. Jai Arrow was one of my first players, if not my first player pick to start my team, and hasn't left it since. Mainly off the back of the fact that he's so damn cheap. So coming in at 474k, um, you're not going to get many guys with his upside um, coming in for round one at that type of price point. Obviously, he's coming off 54 points in 2020, which was disappointing. Uh, 54 minutes a game, but having said that, he played 57 and 55 minutes the two years before and still managed 62 and a 64 average. So his PPM just dipped that little bit extra. Um, I'm going to say that his base and his PPM came down a bit purely because he, he kind of knew he was going. Uh, I think he had... Um, a little bit of um, a couple of bench games. You know, his last four games were off the bench. He had a couple of games missed of injury because of his groin. Um, there was a few different things. But I'm expecting the Jai Arrow from 2018 to show up here where we get sort of a, a 64 points per game average. Um, I also think that there's no way he can play lower than 54 minutes a game, Billy. I don't see any way. If he's starting 13, uh, I think that he might even be looking at 60-plus minutes. And if he gets 60 minutes, you know, that's something he's never gotten before. That could be, a you know, 66, 67 points per game for a guy that's only 474K. It's signing up straight away. I don't see any downside in him at all. I think that everyone should be on board. Yeah, agree. That's exactly my sentiments, mate. Um I just picked apart, I just picked apart his numbers a little bit more just to break, break it down. Um, because it's easier to do that and understand rather than talking about whole season average. All games over 50 minutes, he over one, one PPM. So he's basically just consistent. Um, he's priced at a 54 average because of his whole season, but he hit a 50, 58 average for all games when he played between 50 and 60 minutes. The reason I put that stat out is because I expect he's going to be playing between 50 and 60 minutes. I think that's probably conservative. So if he's getting between 50 and 60 minutes on average, um, he's going to hit that sort of 58, 58, 60 average, which is probably 10, 10% improvement on what he's already priced at. And that's, and that's basically with, with no attacking stats whatsoever because he didn't score a try last year. He only had one try assist last year. So you put him in a better team with, with Cook and look what Cook did for Murray. <laughs> his, his first big, big year there. So I'm backing on sort of some upside there with a much better hooker. Look, if, if you're going to go Cook, surely you're going to go Arrow too. I just think that it's the right team for him. It's the right move. And if he gets to even just even just a little bit more minutes or a little bit more more, more PPM, which he's going to do with that team, I think I think you're right. I think 66 average is, is easily within his reach, which is an extra sort of 12 points at what he's priced at. So I think he's a no-brainer, mate. Yeah, there's no downside to starting with him at all. Um, and you won't find anyone at his price point that's going to have the upside that he has. So. I'm all aboard. Um, Arrow is one of the, I think, the best forwards that you can start your team with. As far as mids go, let's talk a little bit about the mids because this is a bit interesting. Braden Burns 
has been one of your boys from the past who you've been on and very astutely pulled apart some stats and said, hang on, this Braden Burns kid, he's, he's got some big super coach gold written in there if, um, if he can bust out and, and keep starting. Um, his base base attack for a centre wing was fantastic a couple of years ago. Small sample sizes, but then he started to do it when he, when he was getting more and more games, but he kept getting hurt. And unfortunately last year, um, you know, he only got through sort of the first seven rounds, um, and then ended up getting hurt. His base was okay, but at the moment he's priced at around 350k. I will say that at the moment too, though, Billy, he's not projected to be starting, um, or even in the 17 potentially, depending on what Wayne Bennett wants to do. Obviously we're going to talk about it like, uh, you know, he gets an opportunity or maybe down the track he gets one. If he does, he's probably one of the only sort of mid-range options in the South Sydney side that you could kind of consider. Um, he's probably got 100 to 150k in him if he starts at centre and plays 80 minutes. Um, and he's also got a really good floor, which you've talked about in previous podcasts, Billy, um, with his raw base and also his base attack, which he's got a knack for as well. So I'll start with him straight away if he got named round one. But the problem is that now with... Mansour there, um, and you've got Gagai there, and you've got Campbell Graham there. It just it doesn't look like there's any room for someone like um, Braden Burns to get a gig. But if he does, then I'm starting to get interested. Yeah, uh, similar. I'm still concerned about his injury, but like it was a hamstring, I think, and those are sort of nasty to get. If he ends up playing, he's going to play left side, and the va- and the value is he's on the same side as sort of Mansour as well. As Walker, so he's in between two sort of two, two sort of great players and in a good team, so he bounced back there. The concern is with Campbell Graham absolutely beasting it towards the end of last year, particularly on the right side. His sheer size, I don't see him getting dropped at all. Um, and then you've got Guy Guy, mate. The guy's built for Origin. He's not going to get dropped. Mansell has been acquired for a wing, so <laughs> Burns, you're not going to want to play unless he's playing in the centres. Um, and he, I just he, think that, he did start off as a winger, though. So I mean, I yeah, think I, that... I know. But the reason, the reason why we talked to, uh, talked him up um, uh, a couple of years ago is because he was switching from wing to centre, and it was the, those stats that we were interested in. I don't want him for the wing. So yep. if he's on the wing, zero interest at all. Um, has to be playing centre. Yeah, it's probably a matter of his, him being the fifth option for um, for four spots in that back line. So it's probably not going to materialise for him at least for round one. Let's talk about some big balls pods. Now, one of them you just mentioned, and he was a guy that sort of uh, mid-season last year really piqued my interest, uh, and that was Campbell Graham. I was really liking the stats that I was seeing, and nobody was really talking him up, which I was a little surprised about, and he went on a nice little run. So, A very profitable run. Very, very profitable run. So Campbell Graham ended up absolutely beasting it from round 14. And I kind of, that was sort of around when I liked him and I ended up choosing someone else to buy instead, which I was filthy about. But a few people that did buy him said, well, it was the best thing they've ever done. Because from round 14 to round 20, he went 86, 98, 96, 60, 96, 78, 74. To make sense of all those numbers across that last couple of months, that means that from round 14 to 20, he only had one game below 70s and that was 60. So everything was 60 plus. And, you know... He scored a try for that entire run. Seven weeks in a row of a try. Three of those seven weeks were doubles. Um, and I don't think it was a fluke either. Obviously, he's probably not going to keep going on that run. He's going to not score. And he was doing that for the first half of the season. But he is a guy that's only 21. 
um, and sort of started on the wing at the start of the season and then got his opportunity to go into the centres, and I think that he really warmed to the role. I think the second half of the season, Campbell Graham, is more what Campbell Graham is. So that means there's a lot of upside there if you really wanted to take a punt. Um, and that's what, you know, it is a big balls pod because we don't have a huge sample size. You know, what we're talking about there is a seven-game run, and you're kind of doing a bit of it on feel and how he looks and stuff. But I think he looks really good. Uh, and 61 points is what he averaged for the year. But, you know, that last seven games, you know, he averaged like 84 or something. You know, it was ridiculous. He, he was just one of my favorite players. 37 base last year, too. I really like him. Um, the problem is that he's a little bit expensive, Billy. Yeah, but he did go on an absolute tear then. Like, he basically didn't score a try between round two and round... Between round two and round round, thir- round 13, he, he only scored a try once. And that game, he did score 80, 80, 84. His base just tend to be sort of between 20... Here it is, 25, 33, 48, 35, 62, 30, 67. Those are the games he didn't score a try. And then he, then he basically went on, went on, on, on a tear where he got one every single game. But you can make a case for any sensory corner that if, if they score a try every single game, they're going to average sort of 80, 85. The only difference between every other sort of a center and, and this bloke is his sheer size and the team that he's in. Um, I remember getting sort of three to one, three dollars thirty for him being any time try scorer versus Storm and sort of Chooks, and it was great because he, he was borderline going out for doubles every game. Um, I think it's going to be the same again. I think he's going to be right there, forcing himself over the line. But at that sort of price, um, at a price of the sixty-one, I'm probably more inclined to just have a bet on him as first try scorer as, as an any time try scorer rather than. Back in for super coach, mate. He's probably more more an acquisition prior to um that uh that first buy. Maybe maybe getting for that run where he might be a little bit cheaper or might have a bit of value versus teams that that are depleted with from Origin teams. Yeah, I'm I'm in two minds about him. I mean, I'm probably going to lay off because I think that it's a smart thing to do. But um, I could see it really paying off if someone's got the balls to go full pod. He's going to be probably sub three percent ownership. Uh, and I will disagree with a little bit of your analysis there. So I don't think that um, a lot of centre wings are going to average, you know, the, the sort of 84, 85 mark scoring a try. You know, there's a lot of them that are only going to sort of give you 65 scoring a try. I think that's what I like about him the most. He gives you that extra 10 to 20 points on other guys just by going across the line. Um, I know that you're talking about his sort of what his base was, you know, earlier in the year, but he's... His base run the last two months of the season was sort of high 30s in raw base. And when you put base base attack together, it was actually like mid 40s. So, you know, his floor was sort of 46, 47 points, even without a try, um, with how he was playing that last couple of months of the season. So, if you agree with me and you think that the last couple of months of Campbell Graham is what you're going to get from Campbell Graham this year. He's probably going to be quietly one of the best centre wings that you can have because he's going to give you towards 50 points without a try line break. Um, and he's going to get, obviously, the attacking stats there too. And when he does get a try line break, he's often going to get you towards 80 points plus. Uh, so I really like him. Um, I just think that I need to see a little bit more from him and maybe you're right, um, you know, might get him a bit cheaper later on. But... There is a case, Billy, to say that he's undervalued. You know, you discount that first half of the season and say the second half is what he's going to do. You know, he's probably seven, eight points undervalued at least at 540k. Sorry, mate. I just had a bit of a chuckle here. You have, you have, you made a, you made one of those, uh, 
my kitchen rule statements. If he averages what he did towards the end of last year, he might, at 85, he might just be the best seven three quarter. Of course he will. <laughs> if I get this chicken cooked, it's not going to be cooked. <laughs> Mate, get off the MKR train. No, I mean, like, you know what I mean. If he goes, if, if you think how he was playing and how he looked the last couple of months of the season is, is what he's going to be as a player. Because he was quite different than the first half in how he was playing, then you know he's gonna he's gonna be one of the top guys. Yeah, mate, he 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 just looks dangerous. He looks like an attacking weapon when he's near that line. Um, I sure as hell wouldn't want him running at me. It kind of reminds me of um, in Sean Lane for the Eels, like at, at centre rather than second row. He's just really tall, really solid. Um, he just seems to barge over. Got those big arms. Um, I think he's going to be dangerous. I think he's going to score some tries. It's just. The price point that's probably a bit sticky for me, mate. If he was priced at 50, 100%, I reckon I'd be in there, but 60, just that's that little bit of extra cash that you can probably sort of stretch elsewhere, I think. Yeah, I mean, he ended up with 15 line breaks last year, but I think the thing for me that was really good to watch was the tackle breaks that he was getting. Um, you know, he ended up with 56 tackle breaks um, on the season, which if you break it down, you know, 80% of those came in the last couple of months of the season with how he was running. So, yeah, uh, he's definitely a pod, he's, and he's pretty much a big balls pod because it's going to be pretty risky at his price, but you can um, definitely look at him. Latrell Mitchell's the other one that we're going to talk about as far as big balls pods go. And, look, assuming that he's fit for round one, he's going to be playing fullback. He's come in last year and he's averaged 59 points a game. Now, I was pretty critical of Latrell. And I didn't think that he was going to go well last year. And I thought that he was going to have a pretty hard transition. I think for the most part, I was pretty astute in that. Um, but I will say that he probably did better at times than what I sh- gave him credit for. And he deserves some credit for it. So there were some games where his ball playing was quite good from fullback. Um, and, you know, he had a three-round r- run from four to six of 71, 112-71. So that's worth mentioning. Um, but then he had a three-round run afterwards directly of 9, 49, and 47. And that 9 was in 77 minutes as well. It's not like he didn't play half the game. So, mixed bag season. Kind of expected that. Um, he was hurt multiple times, though. He missed two games in round 10 to 11, and then the last month of the season. Um, and he's probably going to be struggling to be fit again and 100% with some of the injuries that he had. Uh, look, he has only got a few tries last year as well. Uh, I think it was four tries that he scored through the year in his 14 games. So there's definitely some room for improvement. Obviously, he can get his fitness up. He might be a bit better as well and might not be as gassed and his base can go up. Um, base of 17 for a fullback, horrendously bad. But, you know, could Latrell be better the second year around? He's priced at a lower price point than some of the other fullbacks. You could, you know, make a case that... If you're going to look at someone like Gutherson, maybe someone like Latrell has some upside for 100k less. Uh, where do you sort of sit on Latrell's progression at fullback for South? I have him above Gutherson. Looking at his numbers, he's the assist king. Like the number of line breaks assists that that bloke has is insane. Like he just seems to be that big fella close to the line that just kind of goes out there, shovels it out, gives it gives it to the wing or or whoever's out, whoever's outside outside him at, uh, at the time. So I think he has some serious value there. The only the only problem is that he's that fullback, mate. He, he really has to be at centre three quarter to have any any sort of value because he just doesn't have those massive tons in him. They, they just seem to be really really consistent, sort of sixties and seventies and maybe maybe a couple of eighties. And at his price at the fullback, it's probably not really want. So I think I think his positional availability at Supercoach makes him a really really difficult choice. 
Yeah, I mean, it is. To sort of give him some props and put it into perspective, you know, he had 15 tries this last year, um, and that was the same as what James Tedesco had. So when you're considering, I guess, some of the other fullbacks, you know, Caelan Ponga had 16 tries this, you know, um, Latrell was really good um, with his assists, uh, much better than I expected him to be, and I think that the South's attack helped him a little bit with that. Um, it catered towards his him getting in the right position to be able to make those plays and stuff, and he pulled them off. So I think that he deserves some credit for that. Um, but, yeah, at fullback, I don't think he can be considered at all. During the season, you know, origin time, you know, around those buys and stuff, if you need to sort of cash out a Teddy or something for a couple of weeks and Latrell's got a good run, that might be when you're looking at bringing him in. But um, for round one, you probably have to stay away. I can't even see him as a, a big balls pod play, really. Yeah, I think he might be the type of bloke that you sort of get in if sort of, you know, the the, the week the week before Origin, you know, sort of Ted, Teddy's um, Teddy's going into Origin has has a week off, then he's going to come back and possibly have a rest, or even if he has like a ridiculously high sort of break even, like a, a two a two hundred sort of break even, and he's not as long as he's not playing the Bulldogs within a couple of weeks, <laughs> then then you, then you may be selling for a quick sort of a trail one game, make a hundred grand, and then sort of flick switch back sort of straight away. But um, you'd have to be really sure that you're not going to miss that one big ton from from him, or maybe just just wait for Turbo. Maybe Turbo gets Turbo get or Pappen Hughes get get injured or get selected for 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 Origin. Then all of a sudden you've you've, you've got. Um, Two fullbacks that are out, and you need to, and you need to flick one of them. He might be the guy that you just sort of have, have up have up your sleeve for a game or two. Yep, I think we both agree that he's um he's not an option for round one, and especially with their draw, I wouldn't be looking at it. Josh Mansour is the last guy we're going to quickly touch on for Souths, and I've got him as a uh, category all on himself as a bit of a mistake. If anyone wants to throw him in the side, you might disagree, Billy, but um like twenty twenty was a huge outlier for Josh Mansour, sixty seven points per game, and that's coming off 45, 49, 51, and 63 in 2016. It was a huge outlier. It was the most games he's played in four years equally. Gone over to South, which, you know, might get some other opportunities, but Penrith are a pretty damn good side. I just think that he's, um, he's priced at peak, and he's coming off a really good season. He's almost $600,000. He's 594500 Coming off a 67-point average, I just... Not only do I not see any upside for that, I just I can't even see him approaching that. I, at least to start the season, you know, he'd be lucky to sort of be sort of sixty-two points if he goes well and hits some tries. So I just sort of see it as a real waste of a sort of five hundred ninety-five k to go for a Mansour in a new side straight up. I won't go for him straight up, but I disagree with your assessment on his average. I reckon he goes better this year in points because his his hit ups and tackle busts and line breaks are going to be um there again and that was a big part of his of his resurgence last year um he didn't start start scoring tries until um the the end of the year when they finally learned to pass left but that was pretty much three quarters of the season already gone he's in a he's in a team like Souths where Cody Walker thrives on that side i, I think he's going to see a lot more sort of uh, attack just from his team actually helping him and getting rid of that you know um, Neville Nobody in, in, in between him. Actually, I shouldn't say Neville Nobody because one of the best centers last year, but one of the blokes who refused to pass to him. <laughs> I just think, I just think he's going to get a lot more ball closer to the line this year, just which will supplement his, or, yeah, supplement, um, the, the high work rate that he's got back. You know, like, I agree with some of that as being valid points, but I have to say, I think that you're being 
a little too kind on Mance. Or there, there was times when he was getting the ball that he simply could not score the try because he couldn't finish because he was slow as buggery. Like he he would run for the corner and get pulled up eight meters out when he was running from ten meters out. Like he just he's not a, a huge try scorer at the best of times, but he still managed to get a lot of tries last year. Like I know that you say they came at the back end, but he ended up ten tries out of nineteen games last year. That's a pretty good strike rate. Um, I, I don't really see him improving on that myself. Um, maybe he can get towards the same type of average. Um, I don't think that he's going to do that straight up. I think it might take a little bit of time. But um, I, I certainly just don't think that you can spend close to 600k on a on a 30, 31-year-old winger going into a new team who um, has just put together his best year in five years. I just I don't like any of that for centre wing. Oh, I agree with that. I'm not buying him straight up. I'm just saying I think you'll... He'll be a, a decent purchase down the track, or at least a decent value in that team. But I would not be buying him for round one, no way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look to your point. He had 35 in base, so he was putting up some pretty good work in raw base. Apart from that, that's the first podcast out of the way, mate. I think that we did pretty well. Uh, it was exciting. I'm glad to talk footy again. I really enjoyed it. So much for our New Year's resolution, keeping it under an hour. <laughs> that was your New Year's resolution. I was never going to keep it under an hour, mate. It's the first podcast back. It's footy. It's time for footy. <laughs> yeah, mate. Be excited <laughs> about it, mate. All right, mate. We'll, we'll get you on again soon. Good luck with the eels. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, now, obviously, I've said a few times you can subscribe on iTunes and obviously download there, but you get episodes straight away if you subscribe. We are also on SoundCloud. Um, I am going to be trying to get us on Spotify as well. Uh, have to have a look into that. But I'll hopefully get us on Spotify soon as well. Definitely for this episode, you'll be able to get us on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter too. NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars on Twitter. We'll have updates on the next episodes and everything. But the plan is to every week or so, we'll be bringing out a new uh, pre-season episode to cover two more teams. And I'll have rotating guests on each of those as well with me. Uh, and the next one is going to be exciting. It's going to be a... Um, a prior champion, I'll leave it at that. And the one after that is going to be a, um, a podcast host that hasn't been on before. So it's it's exciting times in the preseason for the All-Stars podcast. Do keep tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat again in a week or so.